The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. Perfect. I've had bad luck with speaking into microphones this summer, so uh, I'm really nervous holding this thing right now. Um... But like Sarah said, guys, my name is Taylor. I don't know if I've met all of you guys. Um, but to start off, uh, I'm going to be talking on contextual evangelism, which I'll unpack a little bit um, as we go. It'll be a two-part series. Sarah will give the second part next week. Um, but before we get into it, um, I just Jacob had the great idea to show you guys how much I've grown in my time here in Campus Outreach. And so, first pick. That was me... After my first summer down here, um, long hair and everything, and then this was this last year. So as you guys can see, if you let the Lord work in your life, he'll do very, very great things. And so (laughs) with that, I'm going to get started. Um, So to start, I just wanted to go over um, what Ollie talked about last week in Winsome Evangelism. And through his talk, we saw that here at Campus Outreach, um, we believe that cold turkey evangelism evangelism is not the ideal way for us to evangelize, but rather through relationship, um, we can more effectively evangelize. And we did that through 1 Thessalonians 2.8 and got four main keys, and that was the gospel, relationships, time, and prayer. Um, That is what is needed in evangelism. Um, And through that, we also saw that um, every relationship that we have is a ministry relationship. And I want that to be carried forward in my talk, that we don't have two separate people, um, two separate groups that we're trying to interact with, but that everybody um, that we interact with, we are trying to preach the good news to. So to start out, um, my first slide, um, you guys may be wondering what it means, what this word contextual means, and I had to look it up too um, in preparing for this talk, but to look first, I just want us to look at the base word, which is context. Um, Most of us know what, you know, context clues are. But the definition is the circumstances that form this setting for an event, statement, or idea, and in terms of which it can be fully understood and assessed. Um, So when we think, even in the past now, um, of the two different places we've evangelized here already, one being in the chapel um, to the staff and the other being um, on the beach, those are two completely different settings and contexts in which we've already evangelized. The chapel's quiet. Um, We already knew the staff. It was maybe a little bit weird for some. The beach is loud. You got the ocean right next to you. It's hot out there. So we already see the differences in evangelism. And so I just want to unpack a little bit more what it means that we really contextualize how we um, preach the good news. And with that, I want it to be clear that we don't change the gospel. Um, Just like Ollie said last week, any evangelism that does not preach the good news any evangelism that does not preach the gospel is not evangelism. Um, but what changes in how we um, evangelize is um, how we approach a certain audience and the spe- specific delivery and tactics that we can use. Um, and that's what we've been learning even like with the bridge diagram, with logical evangelism. Um, every evangelistic conversation is going to be going to look different, and we want to preach every conversation differently. Um, and so next question, why would we want to do this? Um, in everyday life, we have different conversations with different people. Um, here at Project, 
you're, you're meeting a lot of people. And naturally, as humans, we're going to tend to gravitate towards people who we relate with more, um, who we share the same passions with. And that's not to say we don't want to talk to the people um, that we don't share passions or, um, you know, we're in relation with. Um, that's not what I'm trying to say. But naturally, as humans, we want to share an enjoyment and passion with other people. That's how God created us. Um, and so even in evangelism, um, you know, we can see later, I'm going to lay out a text from Paul, but Paul is using different ways in order for things to click in people's head. Um, and for my own life, I see this like with all the free agency stuff going on in the NBA, I'm going to naturally want to talk to people who understand what that means and who really share that passion for that too, so that we can share enjoyment in it and see more of what that looks like. Um, and in that, we don't have to be pretend or fake. We don't have to put on this disguise that we know what we're talking about, um, even if we don't. Because in that, with other people, we're shutting off God in that relationship. We're saying, God, it's all on me in order for me to relate to this other person. Um, I'm putting on this disguise so I can relate. And, and, and God's over here saying, you know what, I can do that even if there is no relations between you two people. Um, and so with that, I want to pray for us. Um, and then we can get going into what this looks like at a Christian campus. So, Lord, I'm extremely nervous. I pray that you would smash that right now um, because in that I'm not trusting you. In that I have pride that wants to secretly steal the glory from you. Um, Lord, I just pray that in this talk um, we would see how great it is that we can share your good news and how we can most effectively reach different people with that good news um, through contextualizing that. Um, so, Lord, I just pray through this talk that um, I would be merely just a window that people can see you through me, through me more and that you would give me the words to speak, but ultimately you would receive all the glory um, and people would really forget who I am in this talk and really just be focused on you and see you more through that. Um, so I pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Um, I think it's the next slide. So the main passage that I'm going to be speaking through today is what we've been studying in Colossians lately. It's Colossians 2, 16 through 23, um, and I'm going to read that for us to get started. Um, so it says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and a worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nursed and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have an indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so when I read this, um, Berto pointed out to me that he thought this would be a great example of contextualization. Um, Paul, in this passage, we see first in verses 16 and 19, and then in verses 20 through 23, there's a natural break there. He's trying to talk to, to, to two different people with the good news of Christ. He starts out, there's two parties that really at this time, um, there's a huge debate going on between the Gentiles and the Jews. I'm sure um, those at Northwestern and Bethel have probably taken Bible classes, and other people know about them too. Um, but the Gentiles are under more of a, a thought of licentiousness. 
And what I mean by that is the freedom to behave as one wishes, especially in a way that results in excessive or unacceptable behavior. So in that, um, Paul is addressing them in the first paragraph, saying, why are you running to these other things? Um, Why are you running to things that you know can't satisfy you? Don't be ashamed that people are putting you down, that you're not holding to the traditions um, that they have already had in place. You're free in Christ. Don't run away from Christ. Um, And on the flip side of that, we see he's talking to the Jews in the second paragraph. Um, They're more legalistic. And what that means is just excessive adherence to a law or formula. Um, So with that, we see in the Old Testament law, the Jews, the Pharisees, however you want to put it, they held so tightly to that law because they felt it could get them closer to Christ and that, or closer to God, which is not true. Um, So Paul's trying to address them that if you're dead, if you died and was raised to life in Christ, why are you still holding on to the Old Testament law thinking that it can get you closer to God? It doesn't make sense. Just believe in Christ. Um, in both of these categories, we don't want to be in either one of these two categories. As Lucas likes to say, they're two ditches. Um, because both of them look away from Christ and are looking to something else to fulfill them and satisfy them and get them closer to God. Um, and so in this, when I was thinking about Northwestern, um, what does this look like at a private and Christian school? I thought this is very evident in the people who I interact with. Um, And to say this, this is not just at a Christian school. Um, And before I continue on, I I, I hope that if you're from more of a secular institution like the U of M or St. Cloud State, that you won't tune me out because there's going to be people that you interact with in life that come from these different backgrounds, these more church backgrounds. Um, Even if they're not necessarily at school with you, you're going to see this in life. Um, And so we see this at at the beach. We see this in our family. We see this in friends. But the legalists or the Jews that we see at Northwestern um, or Bethel or St. Thomas are going to be, you know, both of these parties are churched. They're usually going to come from a church background. Um, But the legalists are going to be those that grew up in the church. They know their Bible super well. They have the sound theology. And on the other side of that, the licentious people are going to be more like, man, they're just at school because their parents want them there. Um, They're doing whatever they want. They don't care about their faith. And I'm not saying that people automatically fall into one of these two categories. There's going to be a spectrum. People come from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, And even in this room, people are going to fall into different categories and different types. Um, And there's going to be a spectrum even in this room. Um, So it's not always trying to address what this person is and attack that because everybody's going to be different. Um, So going into this, as I've explained, who we're trying to um, approach, who we're trying to preach to at these Christian schools, um, I just want to lay out three mistakes I've felt I've made in ministry and evangelism at a Christian school um, and kind of try to lay out lay that out for you guys so you do, you guys don't make the same mistakes I have. Um, so the first one I have is forgetting what's happened. Um, if you guys remember my testimony at all from the second week, um, my main point that I wanted to make in that was that it is a miracle what God does in your life. Um, you know, the, sh- the story I shared about Alexis you know, me complaining about, you know, oh, my story's not good enough, my testimony's not good enough, and him turning around and saying, you know, don't ever think your story's not a miracle. Um, it is a blessing what God has done in your life. And the same thing happened my first summer here. Zach Fleming, um, my team leader at the time, took me out to Taco Bell, um, and we were talking through my testimony, and the same thing happened. I was complaining, and he just was so joyful in looking at me and saying, 
Taylor, you've been raised in a Christian home. How rare that is today where you have two loving parents that want to pour into you. That is a miracle that God put you in that place. Um, and so going forward, looking to evangelize at a Christian school, I want you guys to, to think that it is a miracle. And this should push me out to want to share with other people. I mean, we read in Colossians 1, 13, and 14, you know, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Um, this should, this vertical relationship that we have with the Father through Jesus, um, we should get so much joy and love out of that that it should push us to want to interact with people around us. Um, and so the question I have for you guys, I think it's the next slide, shouldn't we want to tell everybody how great our Father is? Shouldn't, um, shouldn't our interactions with him through the word and prayer just push us to want to tell every single person about this? Um, and so I have a story back in elementary school that I think was pretty applicable to this. Um, but back in the day, um, in like fourth or fifth grade, my dad took me downstairs one night and he showed me some practice jerseys um, that he had from playing football at Northwestern. And I thought they were the coolest things, even though they're all raggedy, like they were just disgusting. But I would wear them to school every Friday for those two years. And I just thought it was so cool that I could show everybody, hey, my dad played college football. I just thought that was so sweet that everybody could see what my dad did through me. And shouldn't that be the picture that we want to share to other people? Shouldn't we want everybody to see that our father is amazing and I want the same thing for you? Um, the next point I had was answering too soon. And what I mean by that is pointing to ourselves rather than pointing to the, to the Bible and scripture in the conversations we have. Um, so in our fleshly desires, we're going to want to point back to ourselves when we have questions or conversations come up with other people on campus. Um, I'm going to want to point back to my experiences and my thoughts so that I can be seen as, as highly, as I, so I can be seen as somebody who knows something. But with any questions, we want to always be pointing back to, to scripture. And like Zach said in his first personal worship training talk, we can stake our lives on the Bible. Um, we can stake our lives in it because we know that it is true, and we know that God promises everything in the Bible to us. Um, and in this, too, I want us to follow Paul's example. Um, in Colossians 2, 20 through 22, um, it says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that, the, that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. Um, Paul, in, you know, interacting with the church at Colossae, um, his first interaction with them is asking a question and saying, why are you guys not believing this? Why do you not believe that Jesus is enough? And I think we should take the same, um, this same philosophy that it's not about us, it's not about us answering, but the, the Bible will answer for us. Um, and in this, um, somebody who I know um, that does this super well is a guy by the name of Nate Van Z. He'll be coming up here with CCP. But in any interaction I have with him in D group, if I have a question, we were studying Genesis here this last semester, and it was just kind of hard working through some of the things that it said. But anytime you bring a question to Nate, Alexis will tell you the same thing. The first thing that he says to you is, what do you think? And it's like, Nate, if I had an answer, I wouldn't be asking you, dude. And so just that thought, he doesn't want to just paste an answer to me. 
He doesn't want me to just adopt that answer, but he wants me to work through and dig through what I think I believe the text is saying. Um, and in this, we can see that, man, in asking these questions, we're trying to see where their heart is at. Um, and in this, we're inviting the Holy Spirit saying, I'm just asking questions, but Holy Spirit, I want you to convict this person, and I have no power in doing that. Um, and so my last point is going to be assuming the unknown. I don't want you guys to assume the unknown in anybody. Um, and so I have a quote from C.S. Lewis here um, that I'm going to explain a little bit. Um, it's from the preface to Mere Christianity, and what he talks about in that is he goes through what it meant to be a gentleman um, way back in the old days, um, and what gentleman was defined as was somebody who had a man who had land and had guns. And so throughout um, time, um, it began where people started deepening and changing that word into calling somebody a gentleman to refer to them as good or respectful. And so through time, we've lost the original definition of a gentleman, and we can't go back to that without explaining what we mean by that. And he likened that to Christianity and saying that if we don't adopt the definition that a Christian is one who has um, received the teachings of, teachings of Jesus through the apostles and sticking to those Christian doctrines, but rather change it into somebody who's good, who's respectful, we're going to lose what we mean by a Christian entirely. And so the quote goes on to say, we must therefore stick to the original obvious meaning. The name Christians was first given at Antioch to the disciples, to those who accepted the teaching of the apostles. There is no question of its being restricted to those who profited by that teaching as much as they should have. There is no question of its being extended to those who in some refined spiritual inward fashion were far closer to the spirit of Christ than the less satisfactory of the disciples. The point is not a theological or moral one. It is only a question of using words so that we can all understand what is being said. When a man who accepts the Christian doctrine lives unworthily of it, it is much clearer to say that he's a bad Christian than to say he is not a Christian. And so why I use that quote is to say that when we go back to the campus, there will be people that are not believers. Um, as foreign as that sounds, going back to a Christian campus, there will be people who are not believing that Jesus is enough for them. And even in this room, there may be people who aren't believers. And I don't say that, and C.S. Lewis does not say that to insult anybody or to say he's a better Christian than anybody else. Because if we say that, we lose sight of entirely what it means to be a Christian. Um, the point that he's trying to make is that if we never admit or if we never care to look into someone's life and investigate if they're really a Christian, we can never move forward. And ultimately, if we don't look into that, and it turns out that they're not, it will result in their doom. The Bible is clear with that. Um, and so in that, we don't want to be accusatory of someone's faith um, because we don't know their heart. We're not the judge of their heart. We can't see into their lives. But in the same instance, we don't want to assume that someone may have knowledge of the gospel. Someone may be laying their life open to the gospel because that might not be true. Um, and this might make us uncomfortable um, in feeling like we don't want to offend anybody. Um, but this is what we must do um, because we have to embrace um, discomfort in order to reach those um, who are struggling, in order to reach those who aren't um, or who may be living in ignorance that they don't know Jesus. Um, and in this, we know what it means to be a believer from our theme verse, which is, you know, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, 
So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we see from that verse, it's all Jesus. It's not us doing any of the work. He's doing all the work. And so I think in that, we do not want to assume anybody knows that, um, because that's what accountability is for. Even in our own lives, we don't want to assume that I'm clinging to the Christian faith, because ultimately, um, my fleshly desires will rise up and will deceive myself. And so that's what we have accountability for. And so I have a clip, too, um, from Goodwill Hunting that I think may explain this better than I can. So. of abandonment is that why uh is that why i broke up with skyla i didn't know you had i did you want to talk about it no you will i don't know a lot you see this It's not your fault. I know. No, no, you don't. It's not your fault. Hmm? I know. It's not your fault. All right. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. Yeah, all right, you. It's not your fault. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And so if that clip didn't seem clear to you at all, the reason why I use that clip is to just say um, Robin Williams does not assume that Will, Matt Damon, knows that it's not his fault. Uh, he could have stopped asking or stopped saying, you know, it's not your fault after the first or second time and just moved on with it. Um, said that Will's not getting it. But he continues to press in. And eventually we see Will caves and Will cracks because it finally registers with him that it wasn't his fault, that the abuse that he went through in the past wasn't his fault. And I just wonder, going back to the campus, how many people um, are like that and how many people, you know, we may go up to and preach the gospel one time and, you know, they either reject it or, you know, that it registers with them and we completely move on after that. Um, I just my hope and prayer would be that after this talk we would see that it may take years, but continuing to press into someone's life is worth it. And it's what God calls us to do. It's what Jesus calls us to do. Um, 
in the Great Commission. And so um, to end, I have a few practicals for you guys. Um, my talk was pretty practical, um, but there are a few that I want us to take away from it. And it was, the first one is with, you know, not forgetting what's happened. Remind yourself what God has done. And in that, remind others of what God has done. Talk about your testimony. Share your testimony. And show others the joy and the love you have for your Heavenly Father who has delivered you from the domain of that show others that and and have them see the joy and the love that um that comes from the father um the second one is get in the word with believers and unbelievers alike because ultimately the holy spirit will convict us and not not any of us will convict anybody um that's his work to do and the last one i have just as paul does ask questions um how does the gospel apply to this we want to uncover the heart um behind what they're believing and not just um, leave it at assuming that they that they know what they're talking about or they know the answers that or the questions that they're asking and so um, that's all I have I say let's what time is it 206 let's take a break till 210 and then we'll meet back in here and we'll get going with the workshop so thank you for listening to this message from campus outreach minneapolis the college ministry of bethlehem baptist church minneapolis minnesota feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from campus outreach minneapolis for more information we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org